This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 185 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, um, I'd like to start today by thanking everyone that listened to last week's episode, and those of you that shared it. And especially those of you that reached out. If you couldn't tell, I really enjoyed chatting with John, and it was an honor to be able to share that conversation with you. And let me tell you what I enjoyed most about that conversation. Like a lot of people, John's only been back in the hobby for a couple years now, and we talked about that. And a lot has happened in those two years. A lot of people have entered the hobby, a lot of people have exited. Uh, there might be some people out there that are taking a break. But John's still here, and he's passionate as ever. And I really appreciate the energy that guys like him are bringing to the hobby right now. Spending time around people like that is refreshing. I feel like it adds to my enthusiasm, and I hope it did to yours as well. So thanks again to John for coming on the show and sharing his collecting journey. Okay, as for today's episode... You know, it occurred to me that this thing could go in a number of directions. Quite a bit's happened in the last few weeks, and it seems like some big stuff could definitely be happening behind the scenes. And I alluded to this in a previous episode, but there are still rumors floating around regarding Panini and Fanatics. Nothing has been publicly announced, so for today, I'm just going to leave that piece of news alone. And to be honest, even if something does happen, I'm not sure what else there is to say. People have been speculating about a possible Fanatics takeover for a long time now. So I will say, though, one thing here. The thing that would make me happiest about that is that we could move on from this lame duck period where Panini knows they've lost the license and they have no incentive to finish strong. Um, That would be nice. But like I said, nothing's been confirmed at this point. And there we go. There's the thunder in the background again. I know I had that on another episode. This this is Florida. This is what's going on right now. It's nonstop thunder and lawn equipment. Okay, um, back on track here. Uh, Let's see, what else has happened? Well, um, a big breaker, and I suppose the phrase big breaker could be a bit of a double entendre in this instance, but a big breaker held a box cutter up to his employee's throat on camera uh, and then appeared to push him around a little bit in the process. That was pretty gross. Other people have already covered that, though, and quite frankly, the video is pretty unsettling. I think it speaks for itself. Let's see, anything else? Oh, yes, a new grading company emerged. Deja vu, right? I feel like we've said that about 100 times over the years. Uh, This one, though, is backed by Derek Jeter. 
and it's got quite a bit of attention on social media. And while I like some of the ideas that they're working with, uh, there's a part of me that feels like it's just too late. Even though some of what they would be doing is innovative, I think the whole you know grand scheme here, maybe it's just too late. Because the big companies have been aggressively clearing backlogs, and now prices are coming back down as a result. And at the end of the day, it's really hard to put your faith in something that's completely unproven, even when the existing institutions have some major faults. And although I've teased a few topics there that I won't be covering in detail today, that last statement about existing institutions and their major faults is possibly, or or probably in this case, the best preview for today's main segment. The final segment of this episode is about a recent patch swapping incident and PSA's response. Uh, Quick spoiler alert, I wasn't entirely happy with it, but I need to explain why, so you want to make sure to stay tuned for that. Uh, Before I get there, though, I've got to talk about some recent mail. In fact, I'm going to book in this segment with two really nice mail days. The first one I was not expecting at all. It was a 2004-2005 Upper Deck Trilogy card of David Harrison, Um, except it wasn't just the regular glass version. It was the crystal one, numbered to 25, which can be very difficult to track down, especially in good condition like this one. And I've been watching for one for a few years now. I don't recall seeing one since um, a year or two after the product came out. And yeah, I'm, I'm sure more have come up for sale. I just don't remember them. Um, This one didn't come up for sale either, though. This was, in fact, a generous gift from a listener named Ryan. You might have seen his Instagram before where he posts under the handle at Hoops Hobby. He reached out to me a few weeks ago and he said he had a card that would fit in my PC better than his. And I have to add, the timing of all this was awesome because the day that this thing showed up in my mailbox, it um, it had been a pretty stressful day at work. Not, And I'm not complaining. You know, we all have stressful days at work, right? But I always find that mail is a good way to unwind. Um, even mail that I know is coming. But the surprise element of this certainly added to that made it even better. So thanks once again to Ryan. I really appreciate you sending that one my way. Okay, the next two cards I'm going to lump together here because they both ended up in my gold binder. And some of you might have already seen it, but I made a YouTube video earlier this week that showed some of that binder off. So check that out on the channel if you haven't. But um, the first one was a 2008-2009 Topps Chrome Gold Refractor of Mike Dunleavy. Not my favorite Pacer by any means. In fact, that time frame of Pacers basketball was kind of tough to watch. But um, having this card helps narrate the history of the franchise And it gets me closer to completing that 2008 set. And I think I'm only missing two now for the Golds, which would be Jamal Tinsley and Roy Hibbert. Um, And those are bound to show up again at some point. The second gold that I got in was a 2013-2014 Prism Gold rookie of Solomon Hill in a PSA slab, uh, which, as you know, does not fit in a binder. So I cracked that one out using some of the pointers that Steve gave me a few weeks ago. And I feel like I'm getting a little better at cracking those PSA slabs. And this one didn't give me a lot of trouble at all, so that was nice. Uh, now, I'm nowhere near finishing the 2013-2014 Prism Gold Pacers set, but as with all chases, I have to remember that Rome wasn't built in a day. And in this case, it might not ever be fully built, but it gives me something to pursue nonetheless. 
All right, the last card I want to talk about today, another eBay purchase, is not related to any of my projects or set chases at all. And usually I try only to buy cards that fit in my pyramid. However, sometimes there are cards that I just uh, I just like and I want to buy them. And that's okay. And that's what happened this week. I bought a 2015-2016 Immaculate Jumbo Laundry Tag of Al Horford, of all people, Al Horford, numbered one out of two. And the main thing that drew me to this card was that someone wrote on the tag with a Sharpie, R1, G1, 2. And I assumed, you know, based off what I've seen before, I assumed it was an equipment manager, and he or she was labeling this jersey as having been used in um, games one and two of a playoff series, R1, I'm assuming round one. Now, that was enough to make me want the card, but I wasn't going to go to any great lengths to research what series it was from or anything like that. As much as I enjoy doing that, I just can't do that with every card. So for a long time, the card just sat on my watch list, and I hoped that one day it would drop in price. Uh, Unfortunately, it did not. Well, over the course of the last couple weeks, I lost out on a couple nice pieces I was bidding on for my PC, And I don't know about you, but after eBay runs me through that cycle of loser notifications, I like to go through my watch list and take another look at everything there. Um, You know, kudos to eBay. As I've said before, they've mastered the psychological aspect of this whole thing. They make you feel like a loser. So then you go and buy something and you feel like a winner. Well, I, you know, I was a winner, right? Um, So sometimes after racking up a handful of losses, I go for looking for something to buy I go to win, right? Um, You know what? I like that little dopamine rush. And let me make it very clear here. That is not buying advice. I am not saying that you should do the same thing or that it's responsible. So don't take that the wrong way. But anyway, they've got me scrolling through my 400 or so items on my watch list because that thing's always maxed out. And I came across this Horford tag again. And I said to myself, I can't believe nobody's bought this yet. And that prompted me to do a little more digging. You know, maybe it was used in some sort of milestone game and and I could kind of work it into my PC. You know, what playoff games was this used in exactly? So I hopped on Google and I searched Al Horford Game Worn Hawks in the off chance that they purchased the jersey from NBA auctions, which they often do, or, or I should say did at the time. I don't know if they still do now. And I kid you not, the very first result for me was a link titled 2015-2016 Playoffs Worn in four games, Al Horford. And it was on NBA auctions. I opened it up. I zoomed in on the tag. Exact same handwriting, exact same spot. Um, It was a match. And the description named the four games that he wore it in, which would have been all three Eastern Conference quarterfinal uh, victories over Boston. And then also the Hawks Eastern Conference semifinal game three loss to Cleveland. And even though, you know, Al put up some good numbers... Uh, but none of those were real historic games. So it doesn't technically fit that portion of my PC, but a jumbo tag from a jersey that was used in the playoffs four times is still pretty cool to me. So I ended up buying it. I'm glad I did. And while I don't see Al as a Hall of Famer, he's had a solid career overall, and I don't take that for granted. Hi, everyone. My name is Jason. You can find me at mheatcards on Instagram. Two of my main PC players were big three teammates, Norris Cole and Chris Bosch. While I'm always looking for unique cards and particularly nice patches or insignias of either of these two players, I'm going to use this time to highlight a couple cards I've been looking for for a long time. 
I'm a big fan of 2012 Immaculate, and for me, nothing is more iconic from that set than the Jumbo Vertical Team Name logo patches. I'm yet to find a Bosch from this subset, but I have two of the 11 print run of Cole and always looking to add more. The last card I want to mention is a Passing the Torch dual auto of Cole and Dwayne Wade from 2013 Elite. This card is a low print run of 10 and has evaded me for some time now. Finally, I want to thank Kyle for having me on the show this week, and if you happen to have any cards that you think might make a good addition to my collection, my Instagram is mEatCards. Thanks. Okay, so as you just heard, Jason is looking for unique cards of Norris Cole, which is a name I haven't heard in a while, and Chris Bosch, specifically 2012 Immaculate Patches. You can't go wrong with first-year Immaculate. And even if you can't help Jason in that way, I encourage you to go to his Instagram account, and give him a follow. Once again, it's at mheatcards. He's got a lot of real nice heat stuff on there, especially the patches, including a couple finals cards that I have not been able to track down myself. Uh, He's got some good stuff, so make sure and check that out for yourself. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle. Grind. Spam. Profit. We're the Whip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so last week I was browsing eBay, yes, once again, and I stumbled across a LeBron patch auto from 2006-2007 Exquisite uh, in a PSA slab. Not in my price range, but a real nice looking card nonetheless. Now, this is a set I've studied a lot before, so I figured I would cross-reference it real quick with the copies I had already seen and that I actually had logged on my computer. Long story short, the patch had been swapped. Well, it's been a little bit since I've uncovered a swap patch in a PSA slab, and I know there have been some changes in leadership over the last year or two, so I decided I would take a look at their terms and conditions to see if there was anything in there that could help take care of the current owner of the card, because I always feel bad for, you know, especially if it's someone that's bought it after it's moved several times, these people that buy these altered cards and they don't know, you know, I always feel bad for them. So what can we do to help them out? So um, I sent out a tweet that said, does anyone know PSA cards current policy on altered patches in PSA slabs? I've read the fine print, but would like another opinion, meaning I wanted them to restate it in very clear terms. And uh, after I sent this out, another user named Auburn35, who's been uh, very good at kind of talking about some of the different types of card fraud and and kind of aggregating some of that information. So he replied and said, maybe Kevin Lenane or Nat Turner can help clarify the policy. Um, And he tagged both of them, which I had not done. So he tagged both of them. And to his credit, Nat reached out to me via DM. And this is a bit of a change compared to the previous regime. So I appreciated that. And as we were chatting, I felt like some of the information he shared would benefit the community at large, so I asked him if I could quote him or if the information was publicly stated somewhere. I didn't want to just screenshot our conversation. I didn't feel like that was appropriate. Um, So eventually he tweeted out a series of replies publicly on September 6th, 
And this is a lengthy group of posts, but I want you to hear them in their entirety. And then I'm going to offer up some thoughts from there. So um, in response to some of this, Nat wrote, Since it's come up a few times recently, let me just state for the record that we at PSA Card would love to use original pictures of cards with jersey patches from the manufacturers, but to date they cannot provide. Without them, it's near possible to know if a patch has been swapped. I personally think with the prices being charged for high-end products like Flawless, National Treasures, etc., it's a reasonable expectation by customers to be able to look up a card by serial number and see the auto and jersey patch as it left the facility. Now, let me stop here to say, um, this has already gone in a direction I hadn't anticipated, uh, but you know what? I'm still all ears, so let's, let's move on here. He continued, I know we and the other graders would love to have the, those pictures as resources, and it's the same reason we now image every card leaving our facility so customers can see the slab, the card in the slab, etc., before making a purchasing decision. To be clear, I realize how hard this probably would be operationally. We're trying to image 50,000 cards every day, front and back, but again, with where prices have gotten both in the primary and secondary market, I think it's reasonable. And that's the end of of his series of quotes there, because I want to separate what he said and what I'm about to say. Now, my main concern when I was chatting with Nat was, when it comes to these patch swaps, it seems like it's always another customer down the line that gets left holding the bag. And a lot of those customers are, of course, collectors. So I asked something along the lines of, is there anything PSA can do in a situation like this to look out for collectors? And I know some of you are listening to this and and you might be thinking, why does PSA have to compensate people when PSA makes a mistake? You know, the short answer is technically they don't. I'm not saying they do. Um, Their terms and conditions are posted and consumers are paying for an opinion. Now, wouldn't it be nice though if that opinion was backed by some sort of guarantee? Because they do have pricing guarantees in certain situations. Um, this, as it currently stands, is a little similar to some of the stuff we've seen lately from uh, baseball card exchange sealing boxes. And I know, you know, the 86 Fleer boxes are the big ones, but there was also the Pokemon packs and stuff. Um, so anyway, they'll take your money to authenticate a box, but if you actually open it and there's G.I. Joe packs inside, you know, you're just up the creek without a paddle. Okay, before I elaborate on that, I want to take a break here just to remind you real quick that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With the ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time, ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. All right, so going back to these tweets, I have to be honest with you here. I was a little surprised at PSA's explanation for this whole thing. Instead of simply emphasizing that customers are paying for an opinion, which is in part true, they're trying to put the onus on someone else. It's the I guess we all got duped defense which is a pretty ballsy approach to adopt when you're in the business of authentication. And since we've gone that route now, since they're taking that line of defense, I think it's only fair to examine what they're saying a little bit closer. So I want to go back to that series of tweets and pick out a few key parts here. So 
Nat opened by saying they can't know for certain if a patch has been swapped because the manufacturers won't take pictures of the originals before they leave the factory floor. You know what? I've asked about this before too. I think it would be a practical application of blockchain even. If they really want to use blockchain and implement that and have a ledger that tracks things, this would be a great idea here. Um, and I even suggested that fanatics consider this approach in the future. But it hasn't happened. And that's part of the reason why we need a third-party company like PSA. We can't just plug this into a website and do it on our own. Otherwise, we wouldn't need an authenticator. And he mentions that PSA has started imaging every card that leaves their facility. Uh, and this could be a big help in the future. I agree. SGC has been doing it for a while. I think CSG does it. So kudos to all of them. Uh, BGS, of course, is still many years behind. But um, Nat concedes the fact that the resources and man hours behind such a task would be significant. However, he claims, quote, but again, with where prices have gotten in both the primary and secondary market, I think it's reasonable. So essentially, he's saying that Panini's making so much money on cards right now that they should allocate the funds to make this happen to protect the community. And I'm all for that, but I think the same thing can apply to PSA to an extent. After all, what was one of the major reasons prices even got to that crazy high point? It was grading. So by that same logic, if they're making money in this whole process, then maybe they could allocate more of those funds towards protecting the consumer as well. And before I close this thing out today, I want to revisit the altered LeBron that sparked this whole conversation to begin with. PSA has made it clear that they're not going to buy this back. The reasoning was basically that they didn't have evidence of alterations when they went to grade it, which is true. Um, and in their defense, with the volume they do, I don't expect them to scour the web looking for pictures of each and every card. And I know every time I talk about this, I say that, and people still come back to me with that same line. And I tell them, yes, I know, I conceded to that, I talked about that in the episode. Um, and truth be told, I don't know how thorough their process actually is. I have been told by several PSA employees, including Nat, that they're at least using the RPA trackers I put together and maintained for several years now. Uh, now, that was a lot of work for me, not for them, and I offered it up to them freely. But like I said, to expect that kind of research for every card is um, unreasonable. Now, what I do think they should consider, however, is guaranteeing the cost or a portion of the cost of anything that's proven to be altered later on. Because even though they're only providing an opinion, when that opinion is wrong, number one, it cheapens their brand, and number two, it usually costs someone, uh, typically a customer, a considerable amount of money. Now, I've been told in this case, with LeBron, that PSA plans to decertify the card, meaning it will still be in circulation in the PSA holder, but the cert number is no longer active in their system. So the slab's really just a holder and nothing else. And my thinking here is this, if the new pictures of the card are conclusive enough to justify decertification, then there's got to be something else PSA can do with this stuff going forward. After all, they do buy cards back in certain situations. For instance, if they slab a counterfeit card and it's in an active holder, um, for the most part, their terms and conditions state that they can buy it back. And after all, speaking of those terms and conditions, when you go there, the very first line reads as follows. 
The PSA authenticity and grade guarantee is fundamental to PSA's reputation as the leading third-party authentication and grading service. So my suggestion for PSA today is this. If your reputation truly hinges on this guarantee, like you say, it might be time to consider amending it to better look out for customers that have become victims of fraud, even if it means you need to raise the price for cards that are deemed at risk. You know, some of those high-end RPAs, those LeBron RPAs, all those things. Um, Either way, I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. All right, well, there you have it. Um, I do want to commend Nat and the current regime at PSA for at least opening up lines of communication. I know, you know, I might not agree with them on every point. Um, and you know what, that's normal, right? We don't agree on everything just in general in life. That's fine. Um, we didn't get a lot of, of real communication with our good buddies, Steve and Joe, when they were in charge. So, um, you know, we're getting some communication with them now and I'm very thankful for that. Um, I do hope though that there was something that I talked about today that resonated with you. You might not agree with every point, but I think it's safe to say that we all want this hobby to thrive and whether it's the methods I suggested or some other solution, buyers and sellers need to feel safe about what they're doing. And these third-party companies can play a huge role in that moving forward, not just PSA, BBCE, all the grading companies and so forth. Any company that uh, wants to come in and kind of be that missing piece that we need, you know, they have to be accountable in the process. So anyway, as always, if you feel the need to reach out to me on social media, maybe there's something that's on your brain. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.